This is The Shape of Advice, a new podcast series created by Professional Planner. My name is Matthew Smith, and I'm Head of Retail Content at Conexus Financial and Editor of Professional Planner. This series is a conversational-style exploration of the advice landscape that draws on the knowledge and insights of industry thought leaders, experts, and practitioners who are forging ahead with new partnerships, augmenting business models, and adapting to new technologies. Please visit professionalplanner.com .au or get in touch to join the conversation. And now, please enjoy this episode. We're joined today by Virginia Hotez um, from Viridian Advisory. She's an ex- executive advisor there. And Andrew Alcock, for, uh, CEO of Hub24. Good afternoon. Hi, Matt. Hi, Virginia. Hi, Matt. Hi, Andrew. Great to have you both here. Uh, and today we're talking platforms, not the same as it used to be, the purpose of platforms and Really lucky to be joined today. I know Andrew's right in the thick of it. What's happening at the moment? It's an industry in in transition, surely, and a lot of advisors thinking about the future and planning for the future. How is how are you seeing the platform market evolve? And a little bit about your personal background as well. How, how, how have you found yourself in uh, in this position? Sure. Hey, look, I think uh, as an industry, it's a really, really exciting time. We're continuing to innovate and lead, and we're actually in danger of delivering on our promise, which is actually helping our clients retire. Not that we haven't done that in the past, but the way technology is going, the way advice is going, the way the industry is restructuring, um, it, it really is having a sharper focus on consumer outcomes and consumer utility. So that's really quite exciting from our perspective in that that if you can do something better for your client, why wouldn't you? If you can build a technology that's more efficient or gets a better outcome, then we absolutely should, as opposed to in the past perhaps where platforms were a way of just having a list of products that you could distribute or for, you know, the distribution of product, whether it be an in-house product in a vertically integrated model or others, it's about choice, it's about utility, it's about creating value, it's about personalisation. It's about, you know, helping people retire in, in with, with more, more in their nest tech. Um, so I'm delighted to have gone through the industry having uh, started as a technologist, uh, running tech for an insurance and super company over 20 years ago to ending up running their operations, moving into product and marketing, uh, having also had a stint in industry fund land and understanding how that works, the large-scale operations there and member advocacy and thinking about the client in a different way, or and then then working in the advice industry for a licensee. I, I've um, touched all parts of the industry and I find myself now at Hub24 being able to utilise all those different perspectives and think about it in that way and bring that to bear in helping our team and our, our business really meet a need in the marketplace. Mm. Uh, as I said, it's a really exciting time. So let's um, test that word platform. Should they be core platforms? They seem to be doing a little bit of a different job perhaps than a lot of advisors um, might have been using them for in the past. I, I certainly think what we define a platform or what Hub24 yep. defines a platform as is very different to what the market might have defined them as really? in the past. People are starting to stop calling them platforms and their managed accounts, but I, I still think, you know, the, the word resonates and yep. it makes sense. It's, it's part yep. of our, our lexicon. But um yep. From my perspective, you know, originally it was just about helping you pick a basket of managed funds, get a consolidated tax report, get access to wholesale managed fund prices yep. and make it easy to switch between investments as how platforms started off. Yep. We added equities and, and cash products and so forth. Um, today it's not about just packaging the goodies together, it's about helping make some of the, uh, uh, of the actual products. So 
you know, in our world, the, the smarts we have on tax, the, the way we can build a managed account, we're actually contributing to the value or the return or the alpha in some of the products yeah. that we administer. So platforms are actually adding value rather than just being an administration vehicle. They're improving reporting, they're creating transparency, they're creating advocacy, they're creating efficiency for customers and advisors in a way that they haven't done in the past. Yeah. So, Virginia, looking forward to bring you in, into the conversation a little bit about your own personal history, your advice journey, and um, a little bit about perhaps your client base and how you use technology in your practice. Thank you, Matt. So, I've been in financial advice for around 20 years now, and most of that time was in Westpac Private Bank. Three years ago, I left to set up Brutian New South Wales, and I was really keen at that time just to explore what else was out there in the market. So my client base is high net worth families. I have 30 clients that I look after and it's very high touch. We do a lot of work with their accountants, lawyers. There's a lot of complexity involved. So um, they work really well in this space. We can be very client focused. What about client demands? How, How have the demands of your clients changed, have they? Yeah, so if we're referring to platforms here, so historically we would talk to our clients about platform being a very useful, efficient tool to consolidate their reporting information. For us in the background, it was pretty clunky to manage. Yeah. Now it's really much more interactive and clients are more technology focused for themselves as well. So when we set up a new client, on a platform, we'll actually ring them to make sure that they can actually use the technology and they're really keen to get to see more of what's going on. Yeah. Andrew, it's it's quite interesting. I, I feel like the industry started out being afraid of being disintermediated in some ways and now as, it, as we progress more and more, they're inclined to want to bring clients along for the journey and I feel like technology is moving in that direction. Is that what you're seeing as well? Oh, I think engagement is key with consumers and we, uh, you know, it, it, we lived in a world where maybe investing was a black box and you saw your advisor yeah. and you did what they told you to do. Yeah. Uh, you know, you could say the advisor was doing it to you rather than, uh, you know, and you just had to trust them and go along for the journey and we, we all know how some of those stories ended, whereas today it's about how can we work together. Um, and consumers, the technology revolution, the access to information, you know, streaming versus TV, uh, you know, retirees using smart apps on their phones when they might not have grown up in the world of email and the internet on a desktop, yeah. all of a sudden they want it now, they want to understand what's going on. They have far greater access to information. So it's driving uh, that, that need for engagement and transparency. A smart advisor will take a client on that journey yeah. uh, because it's respectful and the client needs to be engaged in what they're doing. I think what, what greater way to build than to build a relationship, to be linking arms and working in that way. I think there's been a massive shift in the way we work with clients. Yeah. Is everybody moving in this direction at the same time or have there been some things that have been holding the industry back? I think you've got quite a few things that came together over yeah. the last five to ten years. Yeah. Um, you know, the rise of, of technology being able to integrate and move data around and whether you call it open backing or open architecture, yeah. but the ability to open up to a universe of choice rather than an in-house set of choice. The uh, whole concept of being able to um, deliver uh, investment advice, I, which, which you could say a managed fund was actually, uh, you know, an investment manager picking individual stocks for a client inside a, a, a unitised structure, to being able to do that in a managed account. So there's been a revolution in how we can invest and mm. how you can get tax benefits. The advent of mobile technology, apps and so forth uh, as well. And I think the whole consumer sentiment piece and, and 
you know, what are we in this industry for? We're here to help people retire comfortably. Um, we're not here to sell products. We're not here to have a vertical integrated business model where we click the ticket everywhere. We need to be best of breed to earn our right to work with our customers. Mm. All those things have driven a shift. You saw the Royal Commission, that's just one accelerant. But I think it was coming anyway. Yeah. Consumers are alive. They're awakening up with, with what's available to them. Yeah. Now, we talked a little bit about your client base before Virginia and their expectations, but what are some of the things that, that you can do now that um, was more difficult for you to do, to do before that, to deliver to that specific client base? So a couple of things there. One is um, Andrew mentioned managed accounts. That's a big part of how we work with our clients. And for us to be able to manage tax closely as we transition investments and shares into managed accounts is really important. And we can also then exclude certain stocks, certain investments where there's high tax liabilities. So mm. that that part is really essential for us. And we can actually work with live data. So we don't need to go back to spreadsheets, but we can actually work yeah. with the data as it is. And so for my team, that's essential and that makes them really happy. So that's that's good. The other thing is we do a lot of tax planning with the accountants that we work with and to be able to look at all the, the moving parts of the tax lot as we work with them is important. So really you've got information at your fingertips, Virginia, that allows you to make decisions, whereas in the past you might have had to look at the platform, go away and do your own calculations offline, but you can make faster decisions with, with better information to the benefit of your clients. As an example of what platforms can do and should do, if you can do it, why wouldn't you? If we can give you that information, that ability to pick your tax parcels and it can create such a substantial difference to a client's outcomes, then let's go there. Yeah. How quickly has that world evolved, um, Virginia, for you? How, how quickly has that happened? Um, it evolved really a couple of years ago. And so for me, when, when I moved to Viridian, one of the um, areas that I was really focused on was how could we better use technology to have a better client experience and a better support experience as well for our team. So that's, that just changed overnight, really. We're talking a lot in this series about, you know, the evolution of the industry. And I wanted to ask you, Andrew, within the last year, year and a half, there's been a lot of changes in pricing in the platform industry. And this concept of naked pricing came in. What was driving that? And um, can you kind of give me a sense of that? Well, there's, a, there's a couple of reasons. You had competitive forces. You had uh, platforms like Hub24 come to market with yep. prices roughly half the rest of the incumbents. Because you know, as a startup, you couldn't get traction. Nobody knew who you were. So you had to come in with a product that, that had some sort of value or utility. So we came to market with very low price compared to the traditional price, but also great features. And that's what allowed us to get a foothold in the industry. I think you find that, uh, and at the time people said they're going to go broke, they're not going to survive. How could they do this? You know, they don't understand what they're doing. Then all of a sudden, a few years later, you've got a lot of the others lowering their price and come to market to match where we are but come to market with, with lesser quality offerings in, in many cases, and it still hasn't worked in terms of reversing the trend where you've got specialist platforms taking market share. Um, so there was that trend, it's competitive tension, and, and it, you know, we use technology 
to run a different business. We started a paperless business. Others were working on heritage technology that was 10, 20 years old. So, but at the same time, uh, you, you've got the, the change in the way the industry used to cross-subsidise, and you, you talk about naked pricing, uh, were the large institutions offering white label products mm-hmm. to large dealer groups mm-hmm. where they'd give them a wholesale price, but the, but the licensee was adding a margin to mm-hmm. that to cross-subsidise. Mm-hmm. All those sorts of things were outlawed or changed under FOFA from 2013 onwards. So you've just seen the natural progression of that to let's move to clean user pays pricing rather than confusing cross-subsidised pricing. That's the trend as well. And we see it in other industries as well. This podcast is brought to you in partnership with Hub24. We make a difference in our customers' lives by connecting you to innovative solutions that create opportunities with market-leading managed portfolios and customer service excellence. Want to know more? Visit hub24.com.au. And now it seems like we're in a phase where the larger platforms are going after scale quite a lot through uh, large deals. How will that play out? You're one of the the ones who would cover scale. How is this scale game going to play out? Where is it going to end? I think it's been phenomenal. The larger platforms might be going after scale, but but, or they certainly were. But now their owners are questioning who should own those businesses. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you've got Colonial being sold, you've got MLC being sold. So the scale players themselves, it's not working. They're having to reinvent their model. I think that's largely because they thought about vertically integrated in-house product distribution, not what is the best outcome, how can I create utility for clients uh, and compete with the cost bases of the innovators like Hub24 and others. So, um, look, we're a small business. We're we're growing rapidly. We have a huge share of new business across the market coming in, but we're still only 2% of the overall market. Scale, of course, is important to us. We, we do need to grow. We are growing organically. You've seen us pull away from some of the other smaller platforms over the last few years. Um, and, and, and we do value scale, and we are out there looking at how we chase larger opportunities. The interesting thing for us is we, we, we're in a situation where the competitors aren't able to compete. They haven't innovated and they haven't invested. In a normal world, you've got an innovator that starts up. Normally, one of the big guys would buy them and leverage that technology. That hasn't happened. So scale will be an outcome for us just by doing our job properly. So I'm interested, Virginia, in how, from your perspective as a practitioner and on the front line, somebody who uses platforms, has that augmented at all the way in which you, you know, run your business? Perhaps, you know, necessity of migration? Absolutely, it has. I've worked with five platforms over the years and pretty much we had to work with what we were given. So... They, they would be clunky. There would be a lot of administration involved. Transitioning from one platform to the other was difficult. Um, it was difficult for some clients. They didn't like change. They didn't like the extra paperwork. And it was also difficult for my team and quite a big cost burden. I think now that it, this is a really good client outcome because we can be more efficient with our time and that's what they want. They don't want us doing paperwork and manual calculations. They want us looking after whatever their strategy is needed mm. for. So it's it's really um, made a big difference. A lot of advisors have in the past have multiple um, platform relationships. What, what's the most efficient outcome for you in terms of the number of relationships? Yeah, so for me, the important thing is, you know, what what is the best outcome for the client mm. and understanding the platforms that I can use and what will be the best client outcome. So for me, it's it's having live data, having a team that will work closely with me and my team and are really responsive to any suggestions, any problems that we have. 
Is price a factor in that? Because you're talking about service and capability there, and quite often the industry gets confused about the commodity or, or platform prices as a race to the bottom. Mm. But, Virginia, you're talking about how can I help a client, and that's really important to you. What are the features and the benefits and, and the capability? Yeah. I mean, price for me is if that that's important, particularly if we're moving from one platform to the other. So, fortunately, with the size of clients that I have, we can always have a discussion around price. So, we make sure that it's competitive, absolutely. Yeah. Does that play at all into best interest duty and, you know, the availability of products and options at, at a particular price? Well, so for me, it's like I start the conversation with what does the client need and what are their values and what do they value? So that's really where we start. But we'll always look at, at price to make sure that that is appropriate. And we'll also look at efficiency as well and what takes us less time and what gives a better client view as far as platform is concerned. I'm curious about this idea of platform as a product or a service and the regulator considers uh, platforms as a product. They're so much like a service, aren't they? Oh, they, they, look, you could have argued traditionally they were a service. They were just packaging things up and charging your fee to do some administration. Um, But... um, uh, the way that the industry priced them and moved money around and subsidised, there actually was revenue streams there, which meant, you know, largely they're a product under the definition yeah, of yeah. law. Mm-hmm. Um, so, look, we're not we're not a managed fund. We're not an investment option, but we're certainly starting to contribute to mm-hmm. uh, the alpha or the outcomes yeah. and some of those things by looking at the tax smarts. The lines are blurring. Uh, we're, we're certainly more product than we used to be. Um, but, you know, we, we are trading and looking after people's assets. We yeah. are actually creating alpha. Yeah. We're doing tax. We're paying tax. Uh, so, you know, uh, the, the rules, the line's been drawn, the regulated calls and some product, and I think, you know, more and more we're looking like that anyway. Mm. In this series, we're, we're thinking a lot about the future state. You know, data has to play a role in that. Platforms seem to be right in the middle of the ecosystem within the advice world. Does data sit with the, the platforms or can platforms um, help facilitate advisors to get their data game together? Oh, there's a whole lot there, Matt. Certainly, uh, you know, platforms have been custodial platforms where you're holding money or holding assets. Uh, our view is, you know, we're quite agnostic. We've got capability where we might hold data. In fact, we might integrate other products that you don't own on the platform but report it as if you do. And so as data comes along and open banking comes along, there's a whole lot of power in that that creates more utility for clients. Let's have a whole single view of your wealth, whether the information is or the the assets are on the platform or not. We can report it. Mm. In the same way, you've got other products in the market that are are data products. So platforms will start morphing in that direction regardless. Mm. Uh, And, and, you know, you might see platforms become software as a service as well as a custodial feature. And that that depends on on where technology goes. Mm. Uh, But we're already doing that and we think that way. We think about how do you open the universe up and how do we report on a whole of life situation for a client whilst we might administer all the assets. But taking the other direction, you asked, look, data from the point of view of advice and advisors, if we can give you information to help you manage your decisions, to help you manage your compliance, why wouldn't we? If we can integrate data with your financial planning software, why wouldn't we? That is becoming far more important uh, in terms of making uh, the world more efficient, uh, lowering costs, allowing advisors to actually have confidence they're servicing, picking up risk and compliance issues. I think data is a huge uh, opportunity for us to, yeah. to look at. And to the point about whether 
it's up to platforms or platforms can enable that. The other stakeholders in the industry, licensees and others, seem to, you know, be positioned to to do that but can also come and go in an advisor's lives as well. Well, we all have to work together uh, and I think it is about open architecture and interoperability. So, um, and there are many different players and people do come and go. But how do we build an industry where you can plug and play data from multiple mm. sources? Um, it, it's really critical. How, how do, could we help advisors with their fee disclosure uh, issues? Could we help advisors actually check that what they've got implemented in the portfolio aligns with the SOA? We don't typically see an SOA as a platform provider, but we're prototyping things with artificial intelligence to help licensees and advisors check those sort of things. It's almost like prevention versus cure. The, the world where where there were issues compliance-wise which you find it after the event and you go and fix it, we're moving towards a world where you prevent them in the first place because you can share data across your financial planning system, across the licensee, across the advisor, across the platform. I think that's a very exciting part of the future that, that will actually lower costs and improve quality and outcomes. I think data is becoming, you know, a massive point for a lot of listeners out there. Virginia, is it something that you're considering and how you how you're building that out? Yes, it is. So, I mean, my utopia for working with my clients is a consolidated view yeah. of all of their entities and assets. And every meeting, that's where we start. So, to have that data flow through would be fantastic. They'll often have a self-managed super fund, a yeah. family trust. They might have a foundation and they'll have individual investments. So, we, we go through line by line to see what are the investments that they hold, what's their asset allocation, and that's quite clunky at the moment mm. and it's um, really going to the source of the data. So we've been talking about how do we get that data to flow through so that we can have all of that information captured and delivered in a view that the client would like. Yeah. We're in a really interesting time, this point now where advisors are really beginning to make decisions about their future, you know, whether it's because those advisors have, you know, come out of large distribution networks, the the perfect storm, the, the, the Royal Commission, you know, and then technology converging as well. You know, what's the future state? I mean, what does the future advice practice look like from your perspective? Uh, look, I, I, I think an advice practice where you've got all parts of your business interoperating. So you've got a CRM solution, yep. you've got a platform, you might have some client engagement tools. The fact that they would all work together seamlessly rather than you having to do double entry and, and you can see bits and bits. So it's about data integration. Um, but it's also about being able to either uh, service more clients more efficiently because the cost of delivery is so high. And so you're seeing some advisors say, I can't afford to service certain mm. clients anymore mm. um, because of the, the fee model. And that, that's partly driven by where technology is is and where it should be, and it's partly driven by compliance burden. So I mm. think the future is about looking after the client and bringing to bear that integration um, so that you can actually service clients far more efficiently. I, I think data is the key. I think interoperability is the key. I think understanding your mm. value proposition is is the key and getting everything to work seamlessly. It's, it's still, you know, it's not a cottage industry, but we've seen constant change in how these things fit together. Uh, we should be able to do a better job at, at integration and I think that's where we're heading. Yeah, and hopefully that helps advice accessibility in Australia has been, you know, stagnantly low for so, so long. You know, in your view, technology um, can unlock that. Oh, sure. Look, look, there are digital advice solutions that have failed. There may be some that succeed. We've seen that happen overseas. But imagine 
uh, a platform and a digital advice solution and an advisor working together, and we're working on some prototypes in that space. So mm. that, so that, uh, uh, and it wouldn't work necessarily in Virginia's model, which is a high touch, high net worth mm. model. But if you've got uh, advisors who have a range of clients, maybe some of their clients are better suited to go on a digital engagement with interaction with the advisor, which is straightforward um, and lowers cost. It yeah. still gives people access to advice. But at some point in time, they might need advice because there's been a life change or a life event where they need where they need a fuller advice set. But but we're fine, we're entering this world where there's some who just can't have advice because the cost of delivery. We have to plug that gap, and technology is the answer. I was going to ask you about that. You know, the evolution that needs to happen that client facing area as well. I mean, um, what might that perhaps look like? Oh, look, you, you you may find the rise of of client engagement tools that take clients on a journey and educate them. And, mm. and build out their risk profile and, and help them make decisions and then inter- implement that in a platform sense, but at the same time link arms with an advisor for education, ongoing advice. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it's digital. I think it's um, lowering the cost of delivery, which means some of the compliance burden can be automated. Yeah, and, for G- and Virginia, for you, um, where, where are some of the biggest gains you think that, that could be made? Where are some of the biggest leaps that could be made? Well, definitely improvements in technology and that data flow that we've touched right. on. So that that's important for us. Anything that means that we don't have to enter information yeah. manually is is important, and that we've got that live data that we can work with. Yeah. What about um, for your clients? Andrew's been talking a little bit about alpha aspect, adding value to the client portfolio. Yes, definitely. The fact that we can use real-time data is important, so we're yeah. not having to rely on close of business data or we're not having to rely on a spreadsheet that we did a few hours ago. That's really important to us. Yeah. Yeah, great. Look, it's been a, an excellent conversation. So, Virginia, Andrew, thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you, Matt.